The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The Seventh Part The cafe's empty, thankfully and I take the seat furthest from the window. The waitress is a little annoyed I only order a water, but she must be able to sense the waves of fear pouring off me because she doesn't say anything, doesn't even look me in the eye. She can sense the danger the way an animal senses an earthquake or a tsunami. She can feel the witch through my skin. She can hear her through my breath. She can see her watching in the darkness where my shadow hits the wall. She places the glass beside me and vanishes behind the counter, through a door into the kitchen. I know I won't see her again, the same way I know nobody else will walk in through the door while I'm here. I'm only half right, as it turns out. I lay the folder before me like it's a holy book, opening it. These are Kara's printouts, so her notes are there as well, scrawled on every page. I'll come to them later. The first thing I do is find the story I haven't read yet, placing it on top of the others. I'm surprised at how short it is, just a page and a half, printed in the same font as the other stories on Creepy.com. I see straight away it's one of those instructional creepypastas, the ones that make you play a game or follow a set of rules. The elevator game is the one that springs to mind, but there are dozens of them. Come on then, you bastard, I say to it. The tube game, added by Unknown on 11-30-2003. Instructions. Start at the northernmost station. For me, it's Chesham, but it doesn't matter because every city is the same. Jeeves it if you don't know. You can get on by yourself or with another person. I don't think it matters, but know this. If you get on with a person you know, then what happens next is worse. Take the train to the first interchange. You have to get off here and take the line that goes east or south. Stay on this train for three stops, get out on the fourth. Get on the same train, but going back the way you've just come. Go past the original interchange and travel three more stops. Get out on the fourth. Get on the same train again, going back. You will notice that this time, the carriage will be empty. There might be people on other carriages, but the one you are in will be empty. If it's not, you've done something wrong. If you get on this train, it is too late to turn back. When the doors close, sit down somewhere in the middle, next to a window. Look forward. When the train starts moving, you will hear a woman sit down behind you. Do not turn and look at her. Do not acknowledge her in any way. She is looking for you. The train will stop. Nobody will get on. The woman is still sitting behind you. She won't be doing anything, but she is there, 
You may hear her talking, but do not reply. She is blind, but she is looking for you. The train will stop two more times. It will stay empty apart from you and the woman in the seat behind you. After the third stop, you will feel her stand up and walk away. Do not follow her. Do not look. When you arrive back at the interchange, everything will seem normal. But it is not. You have found a way beneath the skin of her world. You are in. You must get off the train here. If you do not, you will be forever lost. Always leave a seat behind you. If you do not, she will sit beside you instead. You cannot survive this. This will work anywhere there's an underground railway. This is not a joke. This is not a game. Do not look at her. If you see her, she sees you too. Once upon a time, it would have given me a pleasant shiver, and I would have moved on to the next one and never thought twice about it. But this story obviously meant something to Kara, so it means something to me too. She's written notes in the margins, and I scan over them. Gateway, she's hiding. This is her drawbridge. Holler 241? To Grand, east or south. Why does she want us to find her? Did she even leave this? Maybe somebody else did and she's trying to destroy it? It's been deleted. She deleted it. Don't know about this one, though, do you? Bitch. I realize I haven't really taken her words in. I'm just thinking about Cyrus. About the expression on his wife's face. About those dancing people. The sound of their bodies thumping into each other as they whirled and whirled and whirled. How can anything have the power to make people do that? What does it take to crack open somebody's skull and take control of their strengths? The same kind of power that lets you create a perfect copy of somebody, scoop out the contents of their head, their face, and have them walk around in your clothes. The same kind of power that lets you take a girl who's running out of a door and transport her back in time, back in space, to a restaurant restroom. Magic, I think. But the word doesn't make any sense. It's just David Blaine and card tricks and rabbits and hats. This is something so much more, so much older. Even thinking about it makes my skull crack. It makes my thoughts feel like they're about to slop out. An ambulance barrels past the window, fast enough to make the glass shake. It's heading for the mall. I turn back to the papers, going through the stories I've already read, but this time checking Kara's notes. They sound insane, or at least they would if I didn't know what she'd been going through when she wrote them. If I couldn't smell her life rotting even from here, even from now. The building doesn't exist. You can't find it, not without a map. It is her domain, hers alone. Not a building, but a mind. Not horrors, but dreams. Why pinch? Why tubby? What is she trying to tell us? Who are they? It's like a virus. It spreads from you to your family, your friends. It seeps into the fabric of your world. How to stop it? Can she be killed? Can I kill her? Can I kill myself, or will that make her win? The trains, it's the only way. Then a test, the statues, then what? You're going to die, Kara. You're going to die, Kara. You're going to die, Kara.
George Ackerman died, right? The cross girl? Oh, fuck. Fuck. Fuck, I say, putting the papers down, straightening the edges. When I look to the window, I see that the sun is nestling in the chimneys of the buildings across the road, which doesn't make any sense because where has the day gone? It hasn't even had a chance to begin yet. I'm taking a swig of water when I feel the air thicken and heat. It's subtle, but I'm ready for it, whatever it is. At least, I think I'm ready. But when the bell rings above the cafe door and I turn to look, I still feel the tears boiling behind my eyes. I still feel like I'm going to black out, fall into an abyss, fall forever and ever and ever and ever. It's Flint. At least it would be if it had a face. Instead, beneath the shaven crown of its head, stretching from ear to ear all the way from its forehead to its chin, there's an empty space, a hollow nest. It doesn't stop her from shutting the door behind her, from tiptoeing her way around the tables. Her legs look broken, disjointed, but something else is carrying her weight, lugging her like a sack of meat throwing her down on the chair opposite mine. The knot flint rests her elbows on the table and the bowl of her marionette's head on her interlaced fingers. The inside of her is lined with scraps of meat, freshly cut and glistening. The smell coming out of it is the very worst thing I have ever breathed in. It's a corpse smell, a trash can left to rot smell, so consuming that I almost can't think past it. I almost can't think that this is my best friend. That the witch scooped her out and filled her with something else. Something new. My cell buzzes in my pocket, but I don't look at it. I don't dare take my eyes off the knot flint opposite me. It nods, taking one hand and pointing a long, ring-heavy finger at my pants. Why? Why would I look? It doesn't reply. Just sits there its finger trembling until I pull the phone from my pocket. I already know what I'm about to see. New message. Flint. Why? Why would you look? New message. Flint. You don't understand. I don't understand, I say. New message. Flint. Please. Please, I say even though I don't want to say it. Flint cocks her head, studying me. And even though she has no eyes, I know that's what she's doing. I can feel it. And I'm suddenly aware that it's not Flint at all. It's her. It's as if the fear has run dry. There's no more left. I can't remember how to be afraid. The only thing inside me is anger. What do you want? New message. Flint. I see you. Where is she? Where's Flint? New message. Flint. In me. Forever? This time, Flint's eggshell head nods up and down. Up and down. There's a pain in my free hand, and I realize I've clenched it into a fist. I wonder what will happen if I throw it. If I punch a hole clean through the back of Not Flint's head, if she'll just keep on nodding at me. That's where Kara is? 
and down, up and down. Is that where I will go? When all this is done? The head stops moving, tilts to the side again. There's a smile there, even if I can't see it. New message. Flint. Kara was too slow. I'm too slow, too? I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I just know that if I sit here for too long without saying anything, then I'm going to start screaming and never stop. The head doesn't respond. It just stares at me. There's something almost mechanical about its stillness. Something robotic. Something infuriating. You don't scare me anymore. You know that? I'm not scared of you. New message. Flint. No. No. You don't. I'm falling. The ground has given way beneath me. Suck me down so fast I can't even find the air to scream with. And I'm accelerating down, down to the darkness, then wrenched up again with such force I think my neck is broken. Up, up, out of the ground, over the streets, over cars and buses and people, down into the darkest parts of the city to the building where she lives. And I see it. I see her window. As crooked as a mouth, getting closer and closer and closer, and there's nothing I can do but be pulled through it into a room. The floor bare wood, the walls plaster, nothing in here except dirt, and it's dark. And there's another door right in front of me, and through it I could see an old kitchen, the stove on, a saucepan bubbling. All of it cut into harsh lines by a single bright bulb hanging over the table, and there's meat on that table, a butcher shop's worth. And I know she's here too, because I can hear her. I can hear her moving toward the door. She's coming. Her bare feet scuffing the floor, the lump of her hand knocking against the wall. She's grinning. I can't see her, but I know she's grinning. I can feel it through the wall, as bright as the bulb. She's grinning because she knows I'm not going anywhere, and she's right. I might as well be wrapped in duct tape. I cannot move. I cannot breathe. I just stare at the door. Seeing her shadow flood the floor like dirty water. See the eclipse of her head push itself around the sill, twisted and bent, her face buried in clumps of matted hair, but one eye sliding up in its socket, one blistered, boiling eye, and beneath it one arm too long and broomstick thin, sliding out to touch me. Crack bone fingers, crack bone fingers, crack bone fingers, and I fight it. I fight it like there is somebody on top of me, pinning me down. I fight it like there is a hand over my mouth and nose, and I am out of air. I kick against the broken shell of my body. I punch. I open my mouth and scream and scream and scream until suddenly my body responds and I'm kicking. I'm hitting. And that same force sweeps me up like a pair of arms around my middle and pulls me back out the window and back through the city. And I can still see that shadowed body grunt and slide through the doorway. I can still see her eye watching me go. I can hear her laughing as I hurtle through the ceiling of the cafe and land in my chair, hard enough to shunt it back, to knock it over, as I escape onto my feet. I'm making a noise that doesn't even sound human. A deep, awful, groaning cry that rattles up from the very middle of me. The blood is pounding in my skull, roaring. But Flint is just sitting there, watching me with that fractured eggshell of a head. I can hear sobbing from the back of the cafe from behind the closed door. The waitress, blind to what's happening here, but not stupid. It's a sound that the knot flint seems to lap up, to purr over. But I won't cry. I won't give her the satisfaction. I'm going to find you. I'm not going to let you have me. Not like Kara. Not like... Like Flint. I'm going to find you. I'm going to kill you. Nothing. My phone buzzes, but I ignore it. If you could hurt me, you would have done it by now. You've had years to hurt me. 
all those dreams I had when I was a kid. You had every chance to kill me, but you didn't. You can't. You can't hurt me. The knot flint sits mannequin still. My phone buzzes, and again. I don't know what you are. I don't care. But listen to me. Listen to me, witch. I have to stop for breath because my voice is shaking so much. Listen to me. This is the last time. I'm the last person. I will find you. So go fuck yourself. I grab the folder with Kara's stories, but the knot flint moves fast, slamming her hand down on top of it hard enough to crack the table to actually split the wood. The head doesn't move, locked in place. I tug at the folder, but it doesn't budge. You can't hurt me. And I have no idea if I'm right or wrong when I say, I don't think you can hurt anyone. The knot flint lifts its hand and the folder comes free. I grab the bag too and march for the door, hearing the creature's chair scrape back, hearing the tiptoe of its feet as it follows. But I don't look back. I won't look back. Not even when I'm opening the door. Not even when I step onto the street. It's only when the door closes behind me that I stare through the glass into the dark heart of the cafe. The knot flint has walked to the back. It's opening the door into the kitchen. My cell buzzes again, and this time I look. Six messages, all from Flint, of course. New messages. Flint. I can hurt. 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 Even here. Even past the closed door of the cafe, past the traffic and the rumble of a helicopter, I hear the waitress scream. But I don't wait to see what walks out of that back room, what it carries in its bloody fists. Are you still there? Are you still reading? I know some of you won't be. Some of you will have put this book down, or given it away, or burned it, or deleted it, thinking that it's not true, or thinking that if you don't read to the end, then she won't find you. But not you, right? You know the truth, or you suspect it enough not to risk it. Maybe you felt her in the quiet of the night, sitting at the foot of your bed. Or maybe she's behind you right now, Reaching. Listen for a moment. Listen past the noise of whatever is around you. Listen past the murmur of the day or the dead sound of the night. Listen into the quiet that lies just beyond everything else. It's always there. And she's in it right now. She's watching you through it. Look back. Turn your head quick enough and you might catch a glimpse. But only if she wants you to. She'll reveal herself soon enough. It doesn't matter if you read the whole of this book, or the first page. It doesn't even matter if somebody mentioned the title to you, or if you walked past it in the street. You only have to hear it. You only have to know it exists for her to see you. And then, it's just a matter of time. But I'm glad you're still here. 
I'm glad you're still with me. At least if you read to the end, you'll have some idea of what to do. Don't get me wrong, this book will still kill you. It has already killed you, but there's always a chance you'll see something I didn't. Maybe you already have. Or maybe you're making the same mistakes I did. Because what I did next was a big mistake. What I did next changed everything. Kara's address was right there in the folder that Cyrus gave me, stapled to the back of one of the stories along with a summary of her case. I read as much as I could bear about the way her short, sad life ended. Then I started to walk. It took me close to four hours in the end, even with Apple Maps to guide me. I think I would have found my way without it. Three times I decided to leave, to wait until the morning. Three times I tried to walk away, to find the nearest subway and ride home. Three times I ended up back on the same route, locked in and weeping. Kara's apartment is in a block of twelve, a happy part of the city, trees on the sidewalks diffusing the streetlights. There's still a line of police tape hanging from one lamppost, flapping in a wind I can't feel, beckoning me like a finger. I'm not sure how I'm going to get in, but I shouldn't have worried. The lobby door is wide open, the glass shattered, chunks of it covering the floor like spilled teeth. The block doesn't look old from the outside, but inside it might have been underwater for a century. The paper is peeling, the plasterwork wet and mushy underneath. The floor is filthy, stained with things it's too dark to identify. The elevator is out of order, so I take the stairs, heading for the fourth floor. Teeth crunch beneath my sneakers. Nails, too. Whole nails. Hair has been woven around the handrail like bunting. I have to keep pulling it from between my fingers. The door to Kara's place is open as well. The lights are on inside. I don't think anyone is home, but I knock anyway. Hello? Only silence meets me, the kind of silence that's utterly empty, utterly dead. I hover in the door, but the witch has shown me her hand. She's shown me what she's capable of. I don't think there will be anything new in here. So in I walk, clutching the bag to my chest, moving down a short hallway into an open-plan kitchen and living room. It stinks, because there are dirty plates piled in the sink, fridge wide open. There should be flies, but the air is clear. Even insects know that some places are pure poison. The bedrooms are off to the right, and it doesn't take me long to find Kara's. I recognize it from the photo online. The duvet is still piled on the bed, and opposite that is a wardrobe and a desk. Her laptop is sitting there, newer and fancier than mine. It's sitting there, and it's on. Try not to notice the stains on the wall. More rust than blood. It was like somebody had taken a bat to her. I'm walking through the door when I hear the sound of bed springs from the room across the hall. My heart implodes, squeezing blood into my ears. I swear, ducking into Kara's room as the door opposite crashes open and a woman walks out. She's pale, emaciated, and I can see Kara in her, 
even though she's rubbing her eyes with the balls of her fists. <sighs> I told you to turn it off. That's enough. She walks right up to me, fast, furious, then stops when she sees me. She covers the shock with a hand. How are you? I shake my head, but nothing falls out of my mouth. Kara's mom leans past me into Kara's empty room. It's too late to have people over. Turn it off now. It's a school night. It's so convincing I half expect to see the laptop lid snap closed. It doesn't, and when I look back to the woman, she's not there anymore. Her door slams shut, and I hear the squeak of the springs. A long, loud sigh. I'm close to throwing up my heart, to vomiting it all over Kara's pale blue carpet. This is her squeaking bathtub, I understand. Her footsteps thundering down the stairs toward a knocked door. It's where everything in her life started to rot. The loop that began when the witch first saw her. Wherever Kara is now, her mom's still here, in this house. She's going to be here forever. My mom, too, climbing out of that bath. Donnie, too, screaming at his Xbox. Flint, too, with the meat of her head scooped away. No, I say, as if that might make a difference. Everything's been taken down from Kara's walls, scraps of blue tack ghosting the paint. But there's a sheet of paper next to her computer, folded over so I can't see what it is. I don't think I want to. Not yet, anyway. Because there is writing scrawled along the top that says, Read and be damned. I sit down on the chair instead, tapping the trackpad, looking at the webcam. I glance back at the bed, at that mound of linen. I don't like it being there, so I'm up again, pulling it off the bed onto the floor, stamping on it to chase away its demons. I sit down, run the cursor over the scattered files on Kara's desktop. Most are stories. I click a few to open them, but when they do, they seem corrupted. No letters there, just symbols and spaces. I open up a browser instead, clicking on the link for creepy.com. She's still logged in, which feels weird. It feels like I'm suddenly sitting here in her skin. I click the messages tab, but there's nothing there, and nothing else on her account that can tell me anything. I know I shouldn't, but I click settings and hover the cursor over the delete account option. Kara's nightmare started when she found a story here. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I'm sure that's it. She read the story, and the witch opened her eyes and saw her. Maybe, I think. Just maybe. If I disconnect the link between her and the witch, if I free Kara from the site, then whatever is left of her will find freedom. It still takes me another minute to find the strength to push down with my finger. There's a pop in my ear, as painful as swimming too deep. I click yes, and the account vanishes. Across the hall, bed springs squeak. The door opens. I hear footsteps thundering toward me, but nothing appears in the doorway. I'm starting to get used to it. I'm starting to get used to the way she does things. And I'm right. I know I am. She can't hurt me. 
She can only wait for me to hurt myself. I'm not going to do that. I'm back on the creepy.com homepage, and I've logged in with my information before I'm even aware of what I'm doing. It's almost like being back in my room. I almost feel safe. But that doesn't stop me from clicking the delete button on my account, too. Do you wish to delete your account? All published material will be lost. Yes. No. Let them be lost. I never want to read them again. And if I delete them, then maybe the witch won't be able to see me anymore either. Yes. They're gone. And I feel like it's the first time I've taken a breath since I walked through Kara's bedroom door. I sit back, click the browser window closed, seeing a face beneath it. It belongs to a boy, maybe a couple years older than me. He looks younger, though, because he's terrified. I wonder if it's another webcam shot, but it turns out to be a news article. Local man missing, presumed dead. I scan the copy. George Ackerman, 18, Waldorf Heights. Last seen leaving his home at four in the morning. Avid writer. This bit makes me shudder hard. I copy his name, paste it into Google. Most of what comes back are news articles from 2013, loud at first, but fading into quiet sobs, then falling silent. There's a link to his Twitter, and when I scroll through it, I see another link to creepy.com. It's not exactly a surprise, but it feels like one. It feels like a punch to the solar plexus followed by another one when I click through and see the story he last read. Tubby. I click the history tab and scroll through until I see another familiar name. Lydia Cross. It's a newer article, dated 2016, but the subject matter is similar. A girl, missing from her father's apartment, last seen with suspicious bruises. There's a photo of her, and it's one I've seen before girl's death linked to Facebook witch. I'm too exhausted to put the pieces together, and I click the window closed. There's yet another one underneath, and I flinch when I see myself in it, captured by the webcam. I hadn't even realized it was on. I look even thinner than this morning. You can almost see through me. And I'm so preoccupied by my own waning that it takes me a moment to notice the duvet is back on the bed. The computer clicks, the fake shutter sound of a photo being taken. I'm already turning, though, looking at that pile of linen, at the way it bulges like there's something beneath it. I'm up on my feet, backing away, glancing at the screen again to see myself still there, trapped in a box. My lips pulled back in a grin, but it's a corpse's grin. It's too big. My teeth clamped tight. It's a witch's grin. And my eyes, they're huge. They look like they're about to roll right out of their sockets. They're huge and wet, and they are drenched in something unspeakable. That's enough! A scream right into my ear. Kara's mom's running through the door, and she looks furious. Go to bed! She shoves her hands into my chest and pushes me back. So hard I hit the bed and fall into it. The duvet whomps over my head, pulls as tight as a noose, mummifies me. There's something else in here with me, 
Something broomstick thin. Something whose crack-boned body knuckles around my own. I can hurt. I scream as pain crunches down from the tip of my right middle finger, filling my whole hand, my whole arm. I try to pull it away, but there are teeth locked around it, biting, grinding, sawing until my fingertip gives up and I claw and shriek my way free. I fight my way out of the duvet like I'm drowning, clutching my hand to my chest. I can feel the blood, as hot as boiling water, but my arm is ice cold. I won't look at it. I just stumble away, never turning my back on her. The duvet is rising as something beneath it stands up. I can see darkness in the creases, two thin limbs, an eye that blisters with fury, and its hoarse, wheezing laughter follows me out the door. That, and those words again, hurled after me like rocks. I can hurt. I'm halfway out the apartment door before I stop before I turn. My head's a chaos of white noise. It feels like my thoughts are screaming at me. I'm still too scared to look at my hand, but I can feel the piece of me that's missing that she chewed away. My shirt is drenched with the blood she's let, and the fear is big, but my anger is bigger. My rage is big enough to fill the world. I move to the kitchen, to the big block of big knives, I slide one loose with my left hand, but it's so slick that I drop it. I scrub my palm down my pants and take another, holding it psycho-style as I walk back towards the bedrooms. I can hurt you too, I'm saying. I can hurt you too, I can hurt you too, I can hurt you too! And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm right. I have to be. I'm going to hurt her. The duvet's still standing there standing like somebody's dressed up in it for Halloween. The fury boils in me so hard I can barely even see what I'm doing. But I'm slamming the blade into the linen, tugging it free, again and again and again. I grab the duvet and throw it to the floor, but she's gone. Of course she's gone. The worst thing is she's taken my fingertip with her. There's a piece of me choking down her throat settling in the rotting mess of her stomach, and I can't bear it. I just can't bear it. Bed springs squeaking, and I'm running into Kara's mom's room, but the bed is empty. I grunt in frustration, almost passing out as I head back to the kitchen. I run the faucet, gritting my teeth before holding my finger under it. It's the worst pain I've ever felt. It makes the whole right side of my body burn. But it's a good pain, because it blasts some of the panic away. It sharpens me. The witch has taken the top joint of my middle finger. Blood still pouring out of it, and past that I can see the bone, as yellow as tooth. I can see the indentations where she bit me, the strips of flesh torn loose and just hanging there. I have to take my finger out after a minute or so, or I'm going to lose myself. But even when the water stops running, there's blood in the sink. And suddenly I see mom, my mom, running her finger around the plug hole. I remember that lump of flesh there, the dirty nail. There's a dish towel hanging by the sink. It's greasy to the touch, but it's cleaner than anything else here. 
I used the knife to tear off a strip, winding it tight around my finger, seeing it turn red almost immediately. I cut off another one and knotted on top. Then I lift up my hand, what's left of my middle finger upright and shaking. Still works, you bitch. It still works. I still work. Takes me almost five minutes to find where Kara's mom hid her whiskey, and I swig deeply from the bottle, spraying half of it back out. The rest scalds its way down my throat, setting fire to my belly. I pour some in a glass and hold my finger in it until the world starts to fizz like pop rocks. Then I grab my knife, stagger to the apartment door, and I stop again. I stop because I don't want to prove to her that I'm weak. If she's watching me now, and I have no doubt that she is, then I don't want her to see me scuttling away like a roach. She's right. She can hurt me. She has hurt me. But she can do that anywhere, right? She's as likely to attack me in the stairwell, or the street, or back at my house. And I don't think she wants to kill me. Wouldn't she have done it already? Maybe she wants me to kill myself, like Kara. But I'm not going to do that. No, I'm staying right here. I'm not even sure I have a choice. I'm so drained I won't make it out of the building without passing out. I take a deep breath, and I turn around and walk back to the bedroom. The duvet is upright again, defying gravity like it's hanging from the ceiling. I ignore it, take the folder and the papers Kara left, aiming for the sofa back in the living room. I fall into it so hard that for a few seconds part of me thinks I'm still falling, the room tumbling like an acrobat. My arms actually lash out to the side to steady myself, papers flying from the folder I'm struggling to hold. From here I can see the opening to the bedrooms. I can hear Kara's mom turning over in bed. The witch could stagger out of that door any moment, could come and chew off another piece of me, but I'll see her coming. The important thing there's a solid wall behind my head and a knife in my hand and a story on my lap. It's another story that wants to be read, I know. Cyrus told me he couldn't take it out of the apartment, that it wouldn't let him. I think maybe it wanted me to find it, and I did. Read and be damned. The story that started it all, Cyrus said. My fingers throbbing, and I prod the paper with it, leaving a bloody smudge. I do it again and again, marking my territory. I'm not sure if it's the madness or the fatigue or the blood loss or that single shot of whiskey, but I can't stop giggling, especially when I fumble the paper open and see what's there, see what's written on that first page. I'm howling with laughter now, so much that my chest hurts, that I'm coughing with it so hard I can barely breathe, screaming with it, laughing, screaming, I can't even tell the difference anymore, laughing, screaming, at the all-too-familiar first line that stares back at me. You were six years old when you first saw the witch. This book will kill you. Written by Alexander Gordon Smith. 
Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. This book will kill you. The seventh part starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright, Ash Millman as the unknown author, Nicole Doolin as Kara's mom, and Erica Sanderson as the witch. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, the eighth part. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon Smith.